We are going to be in Romans chapter 6 this morning, and so in Romans chapter 5 last week, we saw where we have been justified uh, by faith. We have been made right with God through faith, and and He made that happen at the right time for us. When we were lost and we were separated from Him, um, He died for us. Before we loved Him, He loved us, and and we saw that... um, through one man, sin entered the world. Through Adam, sin entered the world. And, and it didn't stop there, though. It, it continued with every person who descended from Adam and Eve. And, and we've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But in Romans chapter 5, it tells us that all sin came through Adam and that um, in the same way, all hope, all salvation comes through Jesus. And so just as sin entered the world through one man, salvation enters the world through one man. And at the end of Romans chapter 5, he says, starting in verse 20, I'm I'm just going to read these two verses before we get to Romans chapter 6, but it says, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. He talked about the fact that the law was given, uh, the, the rules in the Old Testament were given, not, um, not that, that they were given so that when we broke them, we would realize that we were sinners, um, or sorry, that by breaking them, we would be sinners. But by giving the law, he showed us that we couldn't keep the law. And the fact that we couldn't keep the law revealed that we were sinners. The fact that we, that he gave us the law showed us we needed someone to save us. We needed someone to forgive us. And, and so he says that as the, sin, as the law was given and as we began to break the law, and for those of us in this room, we know that all of us have broken uh, the rules of God, what he desires in life. Um, we've all told a lie. We've all um, dishonored our parents in some form or fashion. And if we were to go through all the rules listed in the Bible, we will all have... Uh, definitely fallen short of those rules. Um, how many of you in here are still in kindergarten through 12th grade? Anybody in here? All right. Have y'all ever, ever disobeyed your parents? <clears throat> parents parents are, are testifying right now. I hear them. Um, okay. Is there anybody in here in 12th grade or, or below, who has not disobeyed your parents ever before? <laughs> Robert, I don't think so. I've, I've been to your house, buddy. <laughs> All right, so uh, maybe, maybe uh, this young one over here has it, has it uh, but he's, I'm sure he's grieved his parents with the with the crying already, but the fact is, is that we have all sinned, we have all done wrong, and even if we haven't sinned, if we live long enough, we will sin, and the fact that scripture teaches that we're born into sin, that really we have no hope as men when it comes to sin, we are going to fall, and so we needed someone in our state of desperation, we needed someone to help us, and that someone was the new Adam, was Jesus, through whom not not sin would enter the world because he never sinned, but salvation would enter the world. A free gift 
uh, as verse 15 in chapter 5 said, a free gift that abounded for many. And so um, we talked about this last week, that for those of us who need a relationship with God, He is there to give it to us through faith. Not by works, not by anything we can do, simply by His goodness and us putting our faith in Him and Him saving us. But we also talked about what is faith, and that faith isn't just a head knowledge. Um, Faith is when we, um, yes, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but we also believe He can save us from our sins. We believe that we have faith that He is God, and because of that faith, it causes us to live for Him and love Him. And it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it means we're going to have a relationship with Him. And so we saw all that. And let me read this last verse of Romans chapter 5. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so sin reigned in death, and righteousness should reign in a relationship with Jesus. Now, as sin increases, grace increases. So if we, ha- if we truly have a relationship with Jesus, there's nothing that we can do that will break that or end that. He, he will forgive us of anything. But if we truly have a relationship with Jesus, then as we sin, we're going to repent. And we're not going to be um, slaves of, to sin. We're, we're going to strive to do right. We're going to strive to do what honors God. And if there comes a time in your life where you don't feel a a conviction over sin or an urging from the Holy Spirit, then I think it is time to question, did I ever have a relationship with God? If that urging continues and that lack of conviction, or sorry, if that lack of conviction or urging continues. And so, um, that brings us to chapter 6, right? He ends by saying, as sin increases, grace increases. Which is good for us to know, because what it means is, is that, There's nothing that we can do that puts us beyond the ability to be saved. As sin increases, grace increases. Grace is always greater than sin. Therefore, anyone can be forgiven of anything. Now, it takes true repentance. It takes true faith in Jesus. But anyone can be forgiven of anything. And so, with that said, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. This is Paul speaking. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Since as sin increases, grace increases, does that mean in order to show the people around us just how full of grace God is, we should keep on sinning so that grace keeps on increasing? No. Now, you might not know that from the way some people who call themselves Christians live their lives, Um, or the way that even some entire churches conduct themselves. Um, But, no, we should not continue in sin. Look look how Paul, I'll reread verse 6, and I'm going to go right into verse 7 afterwards so we can see Paul's response. But what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Of course not. That's ridiculous. He might not use that word, but he's, he's he's being emphatic here. Of course we should not keep sinning so that grace abounds. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so you can't divorce Romans chapter 5 from Romans chapter 6. And you can't, 
vice versa. You can't divorce Romans chapter six from Romans chapter five. If you wanna talk about being justified by faith, as Romans chapter five does, if you wanna talk about the fact that as sin increases, grace increases, if you wanna talk about the fact that nothing we can do, nothing that we can do is beyond God's ability to forgive and cover that sin. The blood of Jesus is greater than all sin. You cannot take that and put it over here and ignore chapter 6. If we truly have a relationship with Jesus, if grace is increasing in our life, remember Romans chapter 2 says that it is your kindness, or don't you know that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance? As grace increases, that should lead us to sin less because we see the goodness of God. We see how much he loves us. We see what he's doing for us. So, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, baptism is a... um, a symbolic thing that we do where we, for those of you who haven't been here during a baptism, we put water in this baptistry back here. There's this big tub behind this wall, and it fills with water. And when someone has put their faith in Jesus and they are ready to make that public to men uh, and, and the community, then they are, come to be baptized to show what has inwardly taken place. They have been uh, given new life. They have died to their old selves, so that they go under the water. They're dead to self, and when they rise up out of the water, it's symbolic of what has already taken place, that they are new, new life, salvation. So the water symbolizes the grave, and then they come out of that to walk in, in newness of life. And so what he's saying here is that if you have a relationship with Jesus, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Just as Jesus died, literally, we, spiritually speaking, die to our sin. And as we talk about this, as we look at this, we're going to go through this whole chapter this morning. Let me get my phone out so I make sure we stay on track. All right. We're going to go through this whole chapter this morning. And I believe that there are some of you in this room who have a relationship with Jesus, that you are Christians, but you've never seen any sort of spiritual power in your life apart from your salvation, after your salvation. And I believe that for a majority of us in this room who who fit into that category, it's because we haven't believed and lived Romans chapter 6. I believe that if, if we can take Romans chapter 6 to heart and we can live out what Romans chapter 6 is telling us, then I truly believe that it could transform us as individuals. And you know that when God begins to revive individuals, that the church is next. And that when a church is revived, a community is next. There has never been a revival in history where God, let me, let me say, a a revival corporately, not, not just an individual. Um, 
But there's never been a revival in history, maybe not individually, where God has changed the church, where God has revived a church, where he has breathed fire into a church, and, and that church did not in turn change the community, or God changed it through that church. And so I believe that if we, if you will, will give your attention to this scripture this morning, and look, I preach a lot of sermons and I don't say something like this. Okay, I believe that all, all Scripture is God-breathed. I believe it's all inspired. But there's just something about this chapter, this morning, that I believe uh, if we were to give our hearts to it and let God transform us uh, in this, then it could really transform not only us individually, not only our church, but our community. So, didn't you know we were baptized into his death? Uh, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's exciting. That's exciting. So there's... Several parts to this, okay? Of course, we have salvation in general, or justification, where our sins are forgiven and we're made right with God. And, and if anything happened to us after that point, we would be in heaven, okay? Um, but when we think about death and life, when we think about dying to sin, that is hard. It is hard to not sin. It is hard to die to sin. We all have our own things in our lives that we struggle with. And for some of us, that might be um, anger. For some of us, that might be lust. For some of us, that might be greed. For some of us, that might be um, gossip, lying. there's, There's so many sins listed in Scripture. And it's so hard to obey God sometimes, in all those areas. And what we see here is that not only have we been baptized into his death, and so those things are no longer allowed in our lives, and so we spend our lives struggling to honor God and not do those things, but we're also going to get to experience, certainly, right? Verse 5, certainly, we're going to get to experience a resurrection like his. We're going to get to experience one day a new life in its fullness and completeness where we no longer even have this struggle, where sin no longer exists, where God has, has remedied all that and fixed all that. And so um, that's what we're seeing here in, in, verse, in verse 5 of chapter 6. Look, let's continue reading. We know that our old self was crucified with him. These are strong words. I don't think Paul is just going to call upon the image of Jesus on the cross being murdered to make a small point. This is huge. We know that our old self was crucified with him. How many times was Jesus crucified? Once. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. How many times are we saved? 
if, if we're saved, we, our sin has been crucified with Christ so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I'm going to ask you a question, and I, I want you to be honest with me. How many of you have ever struggled with a sin where you just thought, am I ever going to be over this? It just kept coming up time again. If you have struggled with a sin where you wondered if you were ever going to have victory over it, will you raise your hand? It's a lot of people in this room. And so in one sense, we already have victory, right? In a very real sense. We already have victory. Our sin was crucified with him. We're not held to the law anymore. It's by, by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's by faith that we have been justified, according to Romans 5.1, right? And since we have been justified by our faith, and since as we sin, grace increases, we don't have to worry about sin in the sense of are we going to be saved or are we not, if we truly have a relationship with him. Because Every time we sin, his grace increases. However, Paul is saying there's a, there's a second side to that coin. And along with that truth is the truth that we have died to sin in a sense that, look, we are still in the midst of it. We still live in this world where sin is there and temptation is there. Temptation is everywhere. I guarantee you that whatever it is that you struggle with, you're going to experience it. You're going to come into contact with it again. Temptation is, is not going to end. But we're told to stop our sinning. So how do we do that? Well, I think one thing that helps to keep in mind is that when we sin, God's going to forgive us. But we can strive to not do this. We can strive to live for Christ because our sin was crucified with him to that cross. Let's leave it there. Let's not bring it down to continue to partake in it. Let's not make a mockery of his crucifixion. Let's live in victory over sin. Now, I know that's easier said than done, and we're going to continue the sermon. The sermon's not over. If I were to stop there, then you'd be like, we can't do that. I've tried. I know. But let's continue reading. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. This is going back to the baptism illustration. We have died, we live. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You, we have to consider ourselves. Look at this verse. Paul is telling us all, so you also must consider yourselves. This is for people who are Christians, people who have put their faith in Jesus, people who have been born again, who have been saved, however you want to word it. So you, you being Christians, also must consider yourselves 
dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So how are we to consider ourselves? Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You, are you listening, Christians? You are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. What is the sin that you've been struggling with? What are the sins that you have been committed? You're dead to them. They have no power over you. You don't have to give in to them. I know the temptation. I know the strong urge to do what goes against God's desires. I know the power of the old man in that sense. I've been there. I have fallen. I have failed God. I have, I have sinned. Even after my salvation, even after knowing something was wrong, I have still done it. Paul says in this same book, over and over again in different ways, that he knows what he ought to do, and he doesn't do that. And the very thing he shouldn't do, what does he do? He does it. So Paul is not saying that he is perfect in the sense of he would never sin again. But he is saying he is perfect in the sense that sin has no power over him. That whatever sins he commits, they're forgiven. And he's going to remind himself, he's going to consider himself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Not in his good works, not in overcoming works, um, not sinning because he does right all the time, but he has been given life through faith in Jesus. Jesus has made him perfect through Jesus' works, not by his own works. And yet, what are we called to do in a relationship with Jesus when we've been made right by Jesus, when grace abounds over sin, when, when all that is true, we are still called to live in holiness. We are still called to be like Jesus and, and, and to be alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, let not sin, therefore. Now, you know that therefore, we're going to see what it's there for, all right? Therefore, he's talking about since we're dead to sin and alive to God, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. We're no longer slaves. We have been set free. You're not looking at me like you believe me. All the sin, all the struggle, all of it, we have been made free. We don't have to be slaves to its passions, to our passions. We don't have to obey sin's passions anymore. Do not present your members, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Um, How many of you in here have had surgery in the past month? All right. Three that I saw, maybe more. Okay. When you, if you were still conscious, 
conscious. I, that's a hard word to say. When they wheeled you into the operating room and you looked at the table, they usually have it covered with a sheet or something, but let's say it was uncovered, and you saw the scalpels and the tools and they were rusty. Um, would you be excited about that surgery? No. And that's ridiculous, right? It's ludicrous. It's so ridiculous that some of you are chuckling, especially one in particular that just had two surgeries in the past month. The reason it's ridiculous is because, of course, if you're going to do a surgery, you want to have the right tools, and you want to make sure that they're clean tools, right? And so we, as Christians, we wonder why God doesn't use us more for his works, for his will, for his glory. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Why isn't he using me? Why isn't he sending me? And I'm not saying that this is the case 100% of the time, but often it's because we are presenting ourselves as tools of unrighteousness rather than tools of righteousness. When we look at our lives, it's filled with the things that we have done wrong rather than the ways that we are, have, have surrendered to God, the ways that we have died to sin and we're alive to Christ, where we are alive to God in Christ Jesus, and, and we're, we're not being placing ourselves in a position to be used by God because of the unrighteousness in our life. You see, we are saved by grace. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith, right? Not by works, okay? That's, without a doubt, Ephesians 2.8 is true. But Ephesians 2.10 is also true. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. If we have truly been saved, then what should inevitably follow? good works. Because if we are saved, we will love Jesus, and we will want to honor him. And the way we honor him is good works. Now, we're not held to works in order to be saved. We're not following the law here. But if we are saved, then good works shall follow. And this is what this is saying, that if we want to be like God, then we cannot submit ourselves as slaves to sin, slaves to unrighteousness, we have to consider ourselves and submit ourselves to righteousness. And so what are the things in your life that you know right now as I'm preaching this sermon? Some of you can't even pay attention because all you can think about are the sins that are present in your life. What are the sins that are hindering you from being the man or the woman, the boy or the girl who God wants you to be? What if those of you who raised your hand earlier who are under 12th grade, or 12th grade or under, I'm sorry, still in school, what if God wants to use you to do great things in your school? What if there is someone who comes to school tomorrow lonely, beaten down, desperate for a friend, and you are the person that God wants to use to make that other person feel loved and see his love to change that person's life through the power of God 
What if you are the instrument of righteousness that God wants to use? But if we're submitting ourselves to unrighteousness, I'm not saying that, that God can't use a, sin, a sinner, right, or so, someone who isn't striving to live for him, who isn't saved. God can use whoever he wants to do whatever he wants. But this verse tells us that he is more likely to use tools of righteousness, instruments of righteousness, rather than unrighteous tools. Now, what, those of you, it might just, there's only a few of you in here, but those of you who are in college, what if God wants to use you to uh, turn your campus upside down for Christ, whether it's Conway or wherever? Well, you can't do that if you are tools of unrighteousness. But if you are being instruments of righteousness, there is no telling what God can do. Because when you come through a surgery, since we used that illustration earlier, we don't say, oh, thank you, scalpel, for doing such a good job. We say, thank you, doctor, thank you, nurses, thank you, healthcare individuals, for taking care of my health. And in the same way, we shouldn't say, thank you, Philip, or, oh, look at me, I'm such a good tool. No, thank you, God, for using me. I'm just a tool, but thank you for using me. Okay. No chance I'm finishing this if I don't get back to it, so let's get back in there. Verse 12. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to reread verses 12 through 14 because it, it says again um, exactly what I was just going on about. <laughs> Let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion passions do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to god as those who have been brought from death to life consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to god in christ jesus don't present yourself as members of of unrighteousness let me go to verse 14 for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. You see, we have freedom in Christ. Sin has no power over us. Sin has no dominion over us. We are his. But in that freedom, we are free to live for Jesus. We are free to obey him, but we still have a choice not to. And if we choose not to, even as Christians, we present ourselves as a an instrument of unrighteousness. And so, don't believe the lie that you can't overcome certain sins in your life. And if you're struggling right now with a sin that you just cannot seem to to get past, that you cannot seem to defeat, then I would just say, consider yourselves slaves to righteousness. When that comes up again, just tell yourself, no, I will not do this. And if this is something beyond that, if this is a medical condition or, or something about your, the, your body's chemistry that prevents you from, from doing what you desire to do, then you say to God, as Paul did in 2 Corinthians 12, you say, take this thorn from me. You beg him. Paul had this thorn in his side, and he begged God to take it from him because he had this vision of this thorn, and this thorn represented something real in his life. And each time, God said to him, no. I'm leaving the thorn there. 
My grace is sufficient. What am I telling you? I'm telling you, you fight with everything in you. You fight with the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. You do everything you can to submit yourselves as slaves to righteousness, as slaves to God, not a slave to sin. And if you fall in striving with everything in you to live for him, if you fall, then know that grace is sufficient, that you will be forgiven. And then after you fall, you ask God to forgive you and you strive not to do it again the next day. And you put yourself in the right place. If your issue is pornography, for example, and I know we have children in the room, but if your child is in school, they need to know this word. I'm just going to tell you a personal thing here. Um, when I was in third grade, that was the first time I was caught, the only time I was caught in school with pornography, third grade. And it is something, when I was at, last week, I was at a prayer gathering for pastors. There were about 250 of us in the room. And there's a, there was a new poll giving to pastors across denominational lines. How many of you, the question was, how many of you have looked at pornography in the past month? So guess a number in your head. Pastors, this is to pastors. How many of you have looked at pornography in the past month? This is all over the country. 52%. So what's your sin? What are you struggling with? Because if it's pornography, you need to put protections in place for yourself. We do it with children, right? For their good, for their safety. Well, if we're given into that temptation, why isn't that same principle true for us? Why don't our wives or our husbands have our passwords to our devices? Why can't our secretary look at the history on our computer? Or, if you're the secretary, our bosses. If that's the lengths we have to go to, now that has to be a choice of you. That can't be something that's implemented by your employer, obviously. But if, if that's something that you are struggling with, you have to take steps. You can't just say, well, it's okay because grace is greater than sin. Yes, that's true. That is true. But you are using that in a way that is not coherent with Romans chapter 6. We can't have Romans chapter 6 without Romans, we, chapter 5 without Romans chapter 6. Maybe your sin is addiction, whether that's drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. You have to take steps. You're a slave to righteousness. We are not slaves to sin. I have to keep going. Verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one of whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? As Bob Dylan said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Who are you serving? Are you submitting yourselves as slaves to sin? Or are you submitting yourselves as slaves to righteousness? Too often, I 
am submitting myself as a slave to sin. Why do we do that? Whether that sin is anger, whether that sin is bitterness, and the, the root of that which causes other things, or lust, or addiction, or whatever it is, why do we do that? We cannot be slaves to both. We're slaves to one or the other. And for those of you who have been born again, for those of you who are Christians in this room, if you think that you are a slave to sin, you are believing a lie. You are a slave to righteousness. So when you're tempted not to love your neighbor, when you're tempted not to respect your boss, when you're tempted to do whatever it is that you're tempted to do, I can't because I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. And if that truth isn't enough in that moment and you sin, then by all means go to God and ask for his mercy and ask for his grace because it's sufficient. But we don't go, we don't automatically give in to the temptation just because we know that grace is sufficient. I hope that that makes sense. Okay, let's continue. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. He's saying, look, you, had, you learned truth and you're committed to truth. Commit yourselves to righteousness. Verse 18. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Look, we have a free choice. We do. I believe that. I believe that we have a choice whether or not to follow God. We have a choice whether to submit ourselves to sin or whether to submit ourselves to righteousness. We have the choice, but it's our choice, but one of those two things is going to happen. And if we have submitted ourselves to Christ, if we are born again, then I hope you know that when you got saved, Jesus became your Lord, which means that you are now his slave which means that we can no longer do things the way we consider best. We have to do things the way he considers best. And what's got us as individuals in trouble and got us as a church, not just specifically this church, but the church in general, what's gotten us into trouble is we have done things the way we see fit rather than the way God sees fit. We are slaves to God. How did Paul begin so many of his letters? I, Paul, a slave. Now, he wasn't a slave within his culture or within his society, but he was a slave to God. He, in his free choice, when God came to him and showed up on the road to Emmaus, not Emmaus, <laughs> that was a different one, Damascus, um, when God showed up to him, he knew who was talking to him. He said, who are you, Lord? He knew it was God. And he could have run the opposite direction. He would have been blind doing it, but he could have. But he didn't. He surrendered to God. And if you're a Christian, truly, someone who has put their faith in Jesus, then you have surrendered to God. And we are slaves to Jesus. Now, this isn't a perfect analogy, and Paul admits that. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. If you pre present yourselves 
to sin, do you think it's just going to be that one sin and sin's going to say, okay, that's enough. You can have yourself back now. No, sin doesn't do that. Sin chips away and it chips away and it chips away. And while you're not looking, it is entangling you and it has you. And you are its slave, not by choice. And sin leads to greater sin. And in the same way, if you choose just this one step of righteousness, just this next, the next thing that you know you need to do differently for God, do it. And as you choose that, as you live for him, righteousness leads to righteousness. We can't become Billy Graham. We might not ever become that, but for the sake of this illustration, we can't become Billy Graham just by waking up one morning and say, you know what? I really love God today. I think I want to be as obedient to him as Billy Graham. No, just like anything else in life, it's going to take work of obedience. It's going to take the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's going to take an intimacy with God. And we can't become intimate with him like Billy Graham level overnight. It's steps. Okay. Verse 20. We're we're at the end here. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That means that you could do whatever you wanted because you hadn't submitted yourselves to the Lord. You, You hadn't made the choice to become his. But what fruit were you getting at that time? Even though you could do whatever you wanted, because you weren't a Christian, you weren't, you didn't belong to the Lord, it didn't mean that that was what was best. In fact, if we were to look back in our lives and to see where that led us when we submitted ourselves to sin, what it cost us, many of us have a lot of regrets about that. And if we don't, we probably should. Because if our sin didn't hurt us, it probably hurt someone. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So not only does sin chip away and entangle, but what's the inevitable end? Death. Sometimes physically. Sometimes there are actual sins that lead to physical death. And always spiritually. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end is eternal life. Now, he's not saying you have to do good works and righteous works in order to be saved. He's saying that if you have been saved, you will begin to do righteous works. And, and, and as you um, submit yourselves to God, and as you submit yourselves to, to not just doing the right things, but to him and whatever he wants and loving him, and as he is sanctifying you, as he is making you more and more like him, as he sets you apart for these righteous works and these good things, and as he's transforming you into his image, then we know without a shadow of a doubt that we have a relationship with Jesus because we see the work he is doing in our life. We see the way he has transformed us and changed us. If you were submitting yourselves to sin and that sin is chipping away, it's telling you you're not good enough. How could you keep doing this? What were you thinking? And it's chipping away. And it might even be telling you, this is okay. God understands. Just keep, keep, keep on doing this. God still loves you. And then the, the, the ta- it entangles. 
and it tells you how could you ever not do this? What would your life be like without this? You're too old to change now. All these things, it entangles you so that you can't move and inevitably, what's the fruit of that? It's not good. We all know, don't we? Wouldn't you rather be free in Christ and yet slaves at the same time? Free to make the right choice? Free to serve him in the way he's calling us? And yet, even though we're free, we still choose to submit to him. But now, verse 22, that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. What you deserve, what you earn, the wages of sin, of what you've done over here, is death. The free gift of God, the thing you don't deserve, this gift that you have been given, the free gift given by God is death, just life, just a better life here on earth, eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We have been given life through him. Let's not present ourselves as slaves to sin. Let's present ourselves as slaves to righteousness. Neither might sound appealing, but let's look at the fruit to see what we should truly desire. Where does sin lead us, and where does righteousness lead us? And this this message has primarily been to Christians in here. And this is what I'm going to say to you, Christians. If you truly are a Christian... Because we can all call ourselves Christians. Anybody who grows up in a Christian culture can say, I'm a Christian. And there could be truth in that in the sense of the way the culture means it, that, you know, you went to church as a kid or you, um, you were born inside of America, which is a predominantly Christian country, uh, or so we say, or whatever. But if you want to be a follower of Jesus the way the Bible explains it, not the way the culture explains it, but the way the Bible explains it, If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus for real, what choice do we have? Stop living there. Live over here. Stop submitting yourselves as as tools and instruments for unrighteousness. Submit yourself as, as, as instruments for righteousness. And let's just see what God does. Because here's what I can say from experience. When I'm over here, even though... As a Christian, I never have to be over here. And yet, when I'm over here, the doubt, the wrong perspective of my self-worth, am I good enough? The guilt of giving in to temptation and sin, the fruit of this kills me. And I know that you know what I'm talking about. If you have conviction, if you are saved, you know where sin leads. And the joy of this, this is where I want to be, God. God, help us to be here. 
Lord, we love you. And we want to serve you. We want to be like you. We don't want to live ineffective lives. We want to live lives. We want to present ourselves as instruments for holiness and righteousness. We want to see what you can do through us. We want you to use us to change our community. Lord, we want you to use us to bring life, eternal life, and abundant life here on this side of eternity. Lord, we don't want to give in to our temptations. We want to have victory. Help us to consider ourselves as dead to sins and alive to God. Lord, help us this morning. Lord, if there are those in this room who are struggling with sin, then I pray that you would help them. Help me. Lord, help us to break free of the bondage of sin. Help us to realize that we are dead to sin and help us to live in righteousness. Lord, the next time we are tempted, help us to tell Satan, no, we are slaves to God. We are slaves to righteousness. We will not sin. Lord, the next time we are tempted, help us to overcome. And Lord, when we fail, the next time we fail, Lord, help us to go to you and ask for forgiveness, to repent, and to strive not to do that again. Lord, help us to be smart enough to put up safeguards in our life to help us to flee from temptation. And and when fleeing is not possible, then we have put these safeguards up up to, to keep us safe. God, help those of us who, Lord, all of us who are struggling with sin, but in addition, help those who have to be around us as we struggle. And give them grace grace as as beautiful as yours and help them to have truth and to speak truth to us but to do it in a loving way in a gentle way in a way that leads to repentance and not in a way that just drives us further toward the arms of our sin but draws us back to the arms of our savior god help us it's in jesus name i pray amen if you're here this morning